Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Kitty. <laughs> I'm Kitty. <laughs> well, I'm Chris. I was wondering, I wanted to see what was going to happen if I just mixed it up. <laughs> Apparently, you guys got really confused. Everything's broken now. <laughs> one time I said, I'm Chris. But that was like an actual accident, and... Then I was like, no, stop, restart, delete. And then Chris played it in the episode anyway, even though I made him re-record it. We're not so re-rec- I was giving you a chance to say, no, oops, I'm not Kitty. No, I did it on purpose. <laughs> well, I'm not re-editing any of this, so we're just going to keep going. Um, all right, Kitty, your part. <laughs> Today, we're finally talking about gaming couch to 5Ks. How do we take someone that has very little gaming experience and get them to a relatively complicated game? We'll also talk about what a 5K board game is, since we're pretty sure nobody has used this metaphor before, and we're not completely sure ourselves. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, the SGC, and the Gift of Games in Gray's Lake. And welcome to our newest patrons, Jesse Wheeler, new host of Dice Tower News, and Charles Pearson. And thank you to all our other patrons as well. Whew, all right. Fletcher, you have me. It is Fletcher, right? No, Kitty? Am I talking to two kitties? <laughs> a tale of two kitties. I don't think I could handle that. Um, <laughs> it is a really bad Garfield movie. So. It, really? Oh, I could. Huh. All right. Now yeah. I'm going to have to Google that. Uh, it's did, the second live action Garfield movie, <laughs> which everyone's like, how did they get this made? That's amazing. I used to love Garfield when I was a kid. And then I grew up and I'm like, I like lasagna now, but Garfield, eh. Garfield is not a great comic. No, it really isn't. Odie's the best part of it, really. Normal. <laughs> <laughs> Gonna ship you guys to Abu Dhabi. Mm. Exactly. Um, speaking of movies, did you guys watch the Oscars at all? No. Mm-mm. All right, great. We can just skip that then. I just wanted to. I just watched the commercial that the Oscars banned. What? They banned the commercial? Was it good? Yeah. Meh. I mean, it's a mom commercial. It's very real to uh, people who have given birth. It's for all those like free to mom postpartum products. Uh, so, yeah. All right. Well, I did not watch Too the Oscars. Too racy for the Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know those Oscars. It's it's nothing but controversy. It really is nothing but controversy with them. Yeah, I'll just stick with the Super Bowl again. Um. This week was our first Let's week of Smart Pack. <laughs> Smart Pack. Smart Pack. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, just Google Smart Pack. <laughs> you have to spell it like somebody from Boston would, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you could probably do Super Bowl Smart Park and find it, but it's it's worth watching. Um, yeah. So Jesse and Jasper have taken over the news, so we're not doing that anymore. Which it this week felt like it was missing something. Like I was forgetting something the entire time. But I did like a jig all day on Thursday because I was like, <laughs> I have free time. I have free time. <laughs> so thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I well, I didn't have free time, but I was able to play guilt free games on Thursday night, knowing that I wasn't neglecting the news. So it was it was similar. We played a game or two games, one game, one game of Clank Legacy. We're going to get through it. We have about probably two or three more weeks to go and then we'll be done with Clank Legacy. Okay. Um, let's see. We did have some feedback on rule books, so let's start talking about that now. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. All right. Well, the first part We're was putting true. it in the Kickstarter vault. 
<laughs> Thank you for the everyone. Vault I kickstarted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you for everyone who uh, sent us in feedback after our last episode, but we have vowed to never talk about it again, um, at least not for a while. So maybe maybe at our live show at Gen Con, which I do need to register. I have three weeks to register it so that I actually get it within the right time frame and we can get the time we want, um, which will most likely be Friday night is what I'm aiming for right now. So um, that's what we normally do. Yep. Just a bit of foreshadowing. I will probably aim for six or seven because that feels like a nice sweet spot. Um, all right. That's it. Let's talk about 5Ks. So, what is a couch to 5K, Kitty? Because you've been talking about this for literal years. So, couch to 5K, for those who may have, like, not even heard of the concept of, like, this is a running app where you go from not running at all to being able to run a 5K in eight weeks. So, it starts with... You can't run very fast, but everyone can run for like 60 seconds at a time. So you run for 60 seconds, then you walk for 90. And then the next, you know, couple of weeks you go from, then you run 90 seconds and walk for a minute and you slowly build up your run times until eventually you're just running for about half an hour and you can run a 5K. So it takes about a half terms, hour. Yep. Yeah. Um, in game terms, it is moving somebody who has maybe never played a hobby board game before to being able to play a moderately hard um, board game. We decided not to make it games like um, Twilight Imperium or um, The Gallerist. I can't think of any other highly Mm -hmm. complex games. It's not Mr. Potato Head to Warhammer 40,000. Yes. (laughs) It's... Those are marathon games. We're putting those in their own category. And, you know, there are continuing training apps that will take you through from 5K to a marathon. But that's not what we're aiming for. We're aiming for just getting you into, like, the game that might have been too hard for you to learn before. But building up to, like, oh, I can pick this up. For Chris, I think it's Castles of Burgundy. Um, Yeah. but It's it's just so brown. (laughs) Just <laughs> gotcha. Browns and pips everywhere. Um, now, to be clear, we are not aware of anyone else who's ever referred to this Couch to 5K game thing before. So we are making all of this up. Therefore, we are completely right about everything we say because we are Absolutely. creating the definition. These are our rules and everyone else has to live with them now. Exactly. <laughs> Sorry. Welcome to our world. I think we need to come up with like a, a new name for it, though. We need to brainstorm. Listeners, if you have good ideas, tweet at us or something. Well, we can take a minute at this, too. I mean, we don't have to put all the work on our listeners because they're really, you know, not that energetic unless I promise to give them a game. <laughs> <laughs> so couch to 5K, we're talking, we're talking, how about Monopoly to good game? Although that's could be derogatory no. to all the little ones. There's ev- everything is bad about that. But good jumping off point because you can only go up. <laughs> well i mean i think monopoly is a good conceptual place to start right because everybody knows monopoly everyone's played monopoly so what about like a pawn to meeple pawn to me i don't think people even know what that means though yeah because you got to get the couch couch potato yeah you're gonna be like what is that what it has to be something that the people that are on the couch would understand and be like oh yes i want to do that so that's where I think Monopoly is a good place to start, because it really is the couch of board games. It's just, what are we going to? 
Like, all right, so Kitty, I don't have your list here. Um, Joey sent us his list for Twilight Imperium. So even though we said we're not going to do Twilight Imperium, we're going to still share Joey's list. Um, well, Joey didn't know the rules when he he m- emailed us, which he plays by off. his own rules. Yeah, <laughs> he he sort of called our bluff because we've been talking about it forever. He's like, okay, I'm just going to do it, and we're like, if you're going to do it now, we have to do it. So, well, he also laid out some like a a good way to go about it. Yes. So. Kitty, what are your... Because I have two. Fletcher, how many do you have? Eight. No, I mean, uh, games that you're getting to. I, I, I The 5K games. Uh, I just have one list. Okay. And Kitty, you have, like, what, three lists or something? I have three. All right. So... I'm putting them in the notes now. When we get to the end of this episode, we are going to attempt to come up with what the 5K game, like a term for that 5K game is. It's not Gateway. Um, but it's also not, I don't know, coffin box, I guess is how you'd refer to something like Twilight Imperium or something, some other like huge box game or even like big, it's not a big box game and it's not a gateway game. It's, it could potentially be a next step game, but even then that feels like we're going one step beyond that. So, um, but let's just go into this and let's start with Joey because he sort of inspired how I went about this as well. Um, So he starts out, he says, just wanted to see how much work this would actually be to put together. Turns out, if you have a target game, it's not so bad. So basically what he did is he took Twilight Imperium, and then he went on BGG, looked up mechanics that were related to Twilight Imperium, looked up those games, and then sorted those games by weight, and then picked the ones that he thought were most appropriate to get you to Twilight Imperium. So He also looked at... Did you say this and I just wasn't paying attention because I was busy formatting my list? He looked at the game mechanics. Yes, that's how he did the search. Yeah. Yep. So looking at Twilight Imperium, because you can do a search, but if you just did a search for every game and you're trying to go step through the weights, that's not going to be all that useful. Um, but the game mechanics are actually quite useful because that's really what you're building up to to get to this final game. Um, so the final game is Twilight Imperium, a game that I don't think any of us have ever played. Um, I've owned I set it, it up once. Uh, yes. Yep. Um, I've owned it for years. It was one of the very first games I got when I got into the hobby because I'm like, oh my God, this looks amazing. And then I've never actually played it. Um, but let's see. Let's just go down this list. Um, and well, Fletcher, why don't you start us down the list and we'll just kind of like talk about each of these games and what we think of them as part of getting us to the end so the first game that he has on his list is secret hitler which i have played twice i think i like this game but i don't own it um but it's it's, uh for anybody that doesn't have it or hasn't played it or hasn't even heard about it it's like uh it's like werewolf essentially right which is weird when you're looking at twilight imperium which is a epic 4x space game but his rationale for Secret Hitler is it has a very low complexity weight, uh, and it it basically introduces you to a voting mechanic, where you're all trying to vote on what to do as things are proposed to you. And that will come in handy as you get to Twilight Imperium. So, the next one? You want me to go down this list? Yeah, you're saying the yep. game, and then... Okay. You can comment on that. We're just going down the list, but you're, you're saying all, all right, the names. All right, so his second, his second game is Splendor which he focuses on engine building. And I think this is a pretty good choice. I like I like Splendor. Splendor is a really good game. It's a really easy one to get people to play who are not big gamers. Um, aside from the box art, it's 
uh, it's a really fun to learn game. Yeah. yeah my only yeah. thing is that I might switch these two because I think Splendor is a much easier game to learn than Secret Hitler. Um, because I think it depends on the person. You kind of have to know. And this is also rated by weight on BGG. So this is how other people have weighed in. Because um, I think Splendor might actually be the easier game to learn. But Secret Hitler might be the easier game to get people to play because it was such a sensation. Yeah, and it is. It tends to be has that shock value, kind of like the Cards Against Humanity. Yeah, thing. and it's more of a party thing. It's easier to get a whole bunch of people on board with something sometimes when you've got, you know, like a weight of well, four people have already said, yeah, we're going to play this. It's easy to get the other two people in the room to be like, well, okay then. Yep. Whereas the Splendor, it's a smaller player count. All right, so the next game was Citadels, which I actually haven't played, but apparently it's a drafting game. It's, it is. Um, I played it a long time ago. Uh, it has a moderate, it's like a 2.06 weight, and he has it here for to learn drafting. Um, however, his let's just skip this over, unless, Kitty, you've played Citadels. I don't think you have. Nope. All right, so let's skip to the next one, which I think is a better example of drafting. Seven Wonders Duel. So this... <sighs> So the dual version of this, I don't even know that you need to des- necessarily use dual. I think you could probably just use Seven Wonders as your drafting and your engine building. Um, but Seven Wonders yeah. Drool, Seven Wonders Drool, um, Seven Wonders Drool. <laughs> you spend too much time with toddlers, dude. Seven Wonders Drool and Seven Wonders Drool. <laughs> seven Wonders Drool um, has a modified drafting mechanic where you are choosing from. Uh, kind of like a pyramid or a pyramid on the table where if a card is covered up, you can't pick it, but you can see the cards that are coming up. So I could take this card I really want, but that's going to reveal this other card that you really want. So maybe I should take this other card, which doesn't let you get the card you want. So then you're going to reveal the card that I really want. So it has that kind of back and forth thing, but essentially you're trying to build up your tableau so you can get the most points and win. Uh, Next is Dominion, which I've played like once. And this one is deck building, um, which he says is not in TI4, but people should still know about it, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which I can't argue with. People should definitely know about deck building. Um, but if that if there was a game to skip on this list, that could be one of them uh, pretty easily since it doesn't tie directly into Twilight Imperium, but it does start getting you closer to complicated setups. It's not a complicated setup by itself, but it's more complicated than anything else that we've covered so far. I would say, though, uh, going by the BGG numbers, though, it would bring you a pretty big jump from 2.22 to the next game has a 2.98. Yes, which is... Which is Race for the Galaxy. Which I think 2.98 on this feels low. Race for the Galaxy is like learning a new language. So when you go from Seven Wonders Duel to Dominion to Race for the Galaxy, you've gone from a situation where, all right, everything right now is pretty straightforward to, okay, now you're about to be introduced to, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of two dozen different icons. And every card is going to use those, put them together in different equations, which make them do different things. Um, Race for the Galaxy, in my mind, is the 5K game. Like that, that would be a 5K game to me. Um, just I would tend to agree with you. It is a lot of iconography. And I think that some people in 
the gaming hobby tend to forget how hard it is to pick up iconography. Because once you do it once, it becomes easier to do a second time. It's kind of like language learning. And the that first time you're trying to learn all of the icons and what they mean, it's very difficult. But I also just didn't find this game to be <laughs> all that compelling to me. But, you know, neither is Twilight Imperium, yeah. to be well, honest. <laughs> true. I mean, the people who love Race for the Galaxy love it. Um, another complication for Race for the Galaxy is dual-use cards. So you're going to use some of your cards as resources to build other cards. Um, basically, you're discarding them to play the cards you want to play. And that's another a fairly abstract concept as well. So, like I say, I would be... But both concepts that you need to learn to get to the higher gameplay level. I just don't know if you want to introduce both concepts in the same game. Right, right away. So again, this is, I love this whole concept of Couch to 5K simply because it's a thought experiment of progression of games. It's a really fun thought experiment. Yeah, so... I this, can't wait to get to ours. <laughs> all right, well, let's go on to the Keep next going. one. Keep going, keep going. We're going to run out of time. After Race for the Galaxy. Rising Sun. Which is now a negotiation game. This gets us really close to Twilight Imperium as as far as you have multiple people doing multiple things. Um, you're going to negotiate. There's combat. There's uh, not necessarily... No, there is some drafting or at least purchasing. So Rising Sun and Twilight Imperium aren't too that aren't that far apart from each other. Um, which takes to the next game, though. Terraforming Mars. I would put this... In front of both Race for the Galaxy and Rising Sun, regardless of what Board Game Geek says. Agreed. This one... I think this one is a good like introduction to iconography, too. And the way that the icons are used like to mean slightly different things based on how they're presented. And we can talk about how their graphic design is poor, but it's still a good concept. Yeah. Well, it's not perfect. It introduces it. Mm-hmm. You're and saying it also- that Terraforming Mars is... What, an easier game or a game that you would introduce them to I think ter- before the sooner. other two? I think Terraforming yes. Mars is an easier game than Race for the Galaxy or Rising Sun. To learn and play, maybe not to be good at, but definitely Fair. to learn and play. What about yes. Scythe, though, which is the next one? So, again, I think Scythe is probably... Uh, to easier lo- to learn, harder to master? Yeah. Easier than to Terraforming learn- Mars? No, I would say Terraforming Mars, then Scythe. Actually, they could be interchangeable, to be honest. They're Um, very similar learning curves. Yeah, but I would still put Rising Sun and Race for the Galaxy after that. Now, again, Joey just basically took the weights out of BGG, um, which is, you know, go back four episodes and talk about, we'll talk about weight, where it just means a lot of things. Um, So that's why we're looking at some of these games and like, well, this one actually seems easier, um, even though the depth of the game is increasing the weight, even though the learning curve... Um, isn't as high. All right, so the next one, now he starts to really get into the heavier space stuff. Eclipse. This is going marathon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Eclipse by itself could be a marathon level game. Um, tech Trees, it's 4X, it's uh, moving, exploring a hex-based uh, space world. Uh, there's just a whole lot going on in this game. And if you play Eclipse, you if, if you really, really enjoyed it, you might go to Twilight Imperium. If you didn't enjoy it, you may never get to Twilight Imperium. Um, but they're also really different games, even though their themes are 
or the theme and the look is pretty related. Uh, they just play very, very differently. But I, I like this one as far as it introduces to tech trees and, and 4X games. Uh, the next one is Star Wars Rebellion. Another one I could potentially remove from the list. It is dudes on a map. Um, it is asymmetric, which are two things that Twilight Imperium have. But it is, um, it's two-player... And I it's think, very dually. Yes. And I think between Eclipse and the next game he has on here, this might be a distraction from what Twilight Imperium has to offer, especially since we're getting closer and closer to Twilight Imperium. Uh, next is Forbidden Stars. So this one, um, and I'm talking to them, you guys, if you've played any of these, by all means interrupt, I'm just assuming that you have not. No, <laughs> not any of the later ones on the list. To be honest, part of our definition of 5K was that I don't think me or Fletcher play very many marathon games. Right. Yep. <laughs> so we had to be able to talk about this. <laughs> I play marathon games, but not these. You don't play the. Yeah. You don't play five K games. We can talk about you later. Yeah, you you're, you're marathon and party <laughs> games. That's that's all you do. Um, you are couch and marathon only. <laughs> yeah. So Forbidden Stars is another space four X game, and when I say four X, it's um, explore, exterminate. Extract expand. and expand, or it's, there's also some research in there. Um, <laughs> basically, you're fighting, you're researching, you're um, ex- there's like an explorer mechanic where you don't have to fight, but you can get territory. Um, and then I, I forgot one, but anyway, um, it's just a bunch of things you can do. It's, it's yeah, explore, expand, exploit, exterminate, exploit. Um, and these things can be loosely defined depending on the game you're in. But that's why it's 4X. But anyway, Forbidden Stars is an objective game. So you need to like basically complete certain objectives to win, uh, which is very close to what Twilight Imperium is as well. And then the last one before Twilight Imperium... Through the Ages. Which takes us all the way back to the opposite of sci-fi. We're at the beginning of Civilization. Um, it is a long game when you play it in person. I recommend just play it on the iPad or your phone <laughs> because it plays much quicker there. And it's a really, really great game. Um, it just It's a heavy, heavy game. And it's more heavy in, in depth than it is in complexity, uh, especially when the iPad does all the maintenance stuff for me. Um, and then finally, we get to Twilight Imperium. So this that was a very long way there. And I think that uh, when we start going through ours, we took a shorter approach. And we also took a game that wasn't necessarily a 4.2 plus complexity level to play. Um, but I didn't look at complexities at all. I looked at theme and mechanic when I was doing my list. Um, Kitty, what were you looking at? I was looking at theme, mechanic, and complexity. I think you did look at complexity. You just didn't look at the BGG weight to rate the complexity. You used your own experience. Yes. Which yes. I used my own experience plus the BGG weight. I kind of smooshed the two together. Um, but often I agreed with the general principle. Okay. And Fletcher, what was your strategy? Um, I tried to go from... Well, I tried to go from, like, obviously less complex to more complex, but also... Um, a strategy of more dependent and then less, like more team base to like less team base as well. Okay. All right. All right. Well, Kitty, you did your homework and did three of them. So you get to go first. <laughs> okay. 
So should I say what game I'm going for, or should I just let it build? So, well, let's say what game you're going for. Because you did then, yours backwards. Um, I did. I'm probably going to read them reverse. But the when I way. Bu- when I built my <laughs> list, I actually built my list backwards. I didn't build from the smallest and go up. I built from the biggest and went down. So I actually wanted to incorporate some games in each of my lists that I wasn't sure really qualified as either couch or 5K. So I kind of went with like a theme and mechanic for each list more than I went with um, a specific game in mind. So my first one um, starts with Sushi Go. Okay. And that one, we've got some. So what you're saying is Mm -hmm. you are not attempting to get to a game. You're attempting to get to a skill set. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Cool. Um, So I went Sushi Go to Splendor to Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. So this is drafting and then engine building and then co-op deck building. I was going for more set collecting kind of the I guess with uh Sushi Go drafting plus set collection. Mhm. Um then we go to Pandemic, so. which is more kind of set collecty um co-op as a kind of theme here we have. Yep. Uh then we go Blood Rage, Concordia Great Western Trail. So Blood Rage, there's a drafting mechanic in there, and then you start putting dudes on a map. Um, mm-hmm. Concordia, what are you going for in that one? I no longer remember. I did my homework too long ago. <laughs> um, I mean, there's, a, there's, I guess there's territory control there, and like... Um, I think it was just more like the... Because it's also a kind of collecty. Oh yeah, because you to- yeah you are collecting cards. You're 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 collecting like cards. There's to get point yeah. combinations. Yep, and then so it's kind of set collecty, kind of card based. And then Great Western Trail, I which look is at my key weight <laughs> keywords again. <laughs> and then Great Western Trail, which is definitely set collection. Um, and there's other things too. It's you know Rondell, uh, which you wouldn't know it. Concordia but it is also still card drafting. This is a game I haven't played in a while. So like when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. I don't need to write myself notes. And then psst, a week later, forgot. So yes, card drafting, deck bag pool building, um, all of that. Um, action stuff. Action I'm being super stuff. eloquent here. <laughs> excellent, excellent. <laughs> um, which makes sense. And then Great Western Trail, like I said, it adds in a... Well, they all have a little bit of a point set. Well, Concordia has a point salad element. Uh, the others do not. Um, but Great Western Trail definitely emphasizes that. But it still has your set yeah. collection. Because um, that's basically the goal of the game is to yep. get your collection of cows. Um, and then there's a bunch of other things on top of that. But... You don't have to learn all of it because you already have that set collection. Hand management, you've already learned. You've yep. learned um, point-to-point movement. So you've moved around on a map before. You know from pandemic how you moved place to place. You're spending your actions to get to where you want to go in a strategic way. I like that. So, Fletcher, yeah. any concerns with this list? No. I, I mean, think- I'm familiar with all of these except for... Harry Potter and and Great Western Trail, but Great Western Trail is one of the greatest games ever. It's a really fun game. Um, it is it is a five k game though. It, it takes a-, a lot of setup. It takes some learning, but if you're you know familiar with all these mechanics, it's pretty easy to pick up. 
you just have no idea if you're winning. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Which I actually think a lot of these games prepare you for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that's, that's sort of the whole idea of the sequence, right? Now I took a little bit of a different take on this. Um, And I'm going to do the one that I think is better first. And then the other one, I might ask for some help to flesh it out a little bit. But um, I decided to, my 5k game was going to be Arkham Horror, the card game. Because this is a game where if you just open it up and you just start to try to play it, you're just you're going to say no. It's just too complicated. Um, even though once you understand the basics, it's actually not that complicated. But there's just a lot going on. So my first game that I chose on this list was The Mind. It's a co-op game. It uses cards. So it's about as basic as you get. Um the second one I chose, and this was kind of a last-minute ad, was Codenames. Even though it's a team-based game, it still feels like cooperative because you're working with, um, you know, at least one other teammate on your on your team, and it starts building up this idea that when you set up the game, you're going to set up the game that's going to take up a grid of space on the table, which leads into my next game, which is Dominion, which. does take up a bunch of space on the table. You're going to put different decks down. It has easy rules, minimum direct interaction. So it's not co-op, but you're not really fighting with each other. And it starts introducing this um, deck building mechanic that's so common. Now, I was looking at a bunch of different deck builders like Ascension and uh, uh, not Star Hero, Star Realms um, and Hero Realms. And a lot of these deck building games it's just easy enough to just put a deck of cards in the middle of the table and you start dealing things off the top but i didn't feel that those were as useful as starting to learn how to set up a table and putting mm-hmm. cards together and plus dominion is just so simple as far as its rule set um everything else kind of starts introducing extra complexities that are just not necessary um any comments so far sounds nope. good to me so far all yeah. right the next one is Legendary Encounters. Choose your flavor. Doesn't really matter. As long as it's an Encounters, because that is the co-op version of Legendary. Here, you start learning how to build a character deck in-game. So it's very similar to Dominion. Once you've played Dominion, you can pick up Legendary Encounters relatively quickly. But typically, these games have you, like, you know, you're building up... Um, Firefly is one that I really like. So you're building up your character deck. And as you go through, your deck at the end of the game is going to be more specialized than your deck at the beginning of the game. You know, you you leveled up during the game type of thing, um, mm-hmm. which is super cool, super fun. Not that much a build on, on top of Dominion. Then we go to Marvel Champions, which is a co-op by FFG. This one, you start building your deck outside of the game. So before you can play, you have to build your deck. But the deck building rules are super, super simple, especially if you just go for the core box. And if you are using just the core box, then your decks are essentially defined for you. You set up the game, the game setup is pretty simple, and you are attempting to take your characters against a particular scenario, which is exactly what Arkham Horror is going to eventually be. But I make one more stop before that, which is Arkham Horror 3rd Edition, which is a co-op at again by FFG. It introduces the characters and the setting. There's no real deck building in it, but it's fairly immersive in its storylines and how um, you move I was going to say, I'm not going to give it to you on like gameplay, 
But for theme, it is actually very important for Arkham Horror because you really do get a sense of the world. Yep. And getting dumped into this world at the beginning is part of the definite barrier to entry for Arkham Horror LCG. Yep. And I think the the board game does a better job at telling you why you're in the world. When you find a says clues are abstract in Arkham Horror LCG, but in the board game, clues are very specific. They have a story behind it. You found this particular clue and this is what it was and this led you to looking at this other thing. The characters are the same, so you're going to share characters between them and there's even mechanics that 3rd edition stole from LCG. Um well, borrowed from, reused, whatever. Um, <laughs> so by the time you get to Arkham Horror, Arkham Horror LCG, you've done the pre-made decks that you can build through Marvel Champions. You understand the concept of what you're supposed to do through Arkham Horror 3rd Edition. And the setup isn't much more complicated than, you know, between Marvel Champions and Arkham Horror, the setup's pretty similar. Yep. So that was mine. And like I said, this one, I was looking at both theme and mechanics to get you to the final game. Um, and I've tried not to take too many steps. They like say the mine, code names, dominion, these are all kind of gateway entry level things. I also do not presume that someone is doing this by themselves, although you could. Um, I assume that somebody is like bringing someone along for the ride and they're just kind of easing them into it. Also, each one of these games would be played multiple times before moving on to the next game. Yeah. Your week of runs, yes. so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> play play three to five, a game, or each game three to five times before moving on. And then by the time you get to Arkham Horror LCG, you'll just be like, ah, oh, this is finally the pinnacle of everything I want out of gaming. <laughs> According to Chris. According to me. Um, all right, Kitty, you do the next one, and then Fletcher will do his. Okay. So my next one is a, I kind of focused on tile lane board building, a little bit of worker placement in here. So I started out with um, King Domino, a game I've actually only played once. And but I don't remember very much about it, except it's pretty easy to pick up. <laughs> yeah, super easy to pick up. You're just trying to create the largest territories out of these domino style tiles. And yep. I have the biggest grass territory and look at all the points I got. Yes. So, moving from that, we go to Azul. So, this one's a little bit more complicated, but it has a lot of um, kind of like guiding force to you, the way that the boards are set up, the way that everything is laid out. I feel like it's more intuitive to learn than it is to get good at. Oh, yeah. This one's like super, super easy to learn, but it's, you know, strategy-wise, you have to play it quite a few times. But I think... It's one that makes you want to play it again because you are, it's not just playing other people, you're playing yourself as well. So it's very puzzly. Really like that about it. Um, Next, we come to Carcassonne, one of my favorite games. Um, And this one, you start dealing with, you know, meeples being placed on the tiles and how you're being strategic about other players much more. It's much more player interaction. Um, then we go to Parks. Have either of you played this? Or Chris, do you just own it and it's sitting on your no. shelf? I've owned it. I've stared at it. I've opened it up and I've set it up. I've I've longed to play it, but I didn't want to play the solo version. So no, I have not played it yet. I have not actually 
played it either, but I watched it played. Okay. <laughs> My copy was brought out at a game night by some other people, and I sat down to watch the end of the game. So this one brings in um, point-to-point movement as well as set collection worker placement, and you're still... It's a beautiful game yeah. where you're putting tiles and moving pieces yeah. around. It's also linear action selection. So it's one yes. of those games where you can choose the very next action, but if you don't want that when you want to take the one after it, then you can't go backwards. You can only go forward when you're choosing your actions. Mm-hmm. So then we move to Between Two Castles of Mad King Ludwig, which is a game that I really enjoyed and I would love to play again. And I don't own, so I might have to remedy that. I own it, and it's one of those games that I'm going to continue to own. And it is one of the least, like, it's it's it could win underrated Game of the Year awards. <laughs> um, because it came and went without so much as a buzz. It's Stonemaier Games. Uh, it is the merger of, you know, Between Two Castles and Castles of Mad King, or Between Two it's Cities two and cities, Castles yeah. of Mad King Lugway. Um, and it is... I guess maybe it's because it's a three-player plus. Although you can, I think there's a two-player variant. But um, try out this game if you like either Between Two Cities or Castle of Mad King Ludwig. This game's worth trying out. Or if you just like tile placement, you like maximizing your score, you like puzzly kind of games, and I really love the scoring because you are you have two things going on and you are scoring the highest of your two and you're working with somebody else about where to place your tiles so you like you can only succeed by working with someone else but only to a certain point because you're also competing against that exact same person too yes and it's more fun than it sounds like it would be based on that description yeah. <laughs> um so we go from between two castles of mad king ludwig this one is not as within the theme but i liked it and it shares a surprising number of mechanics here which is champions of midgard all right so there's no tile laying in this one no but um we'll get back to tile lane but this one brings in more dice rolling um it's still set collection and worker placement has come up in this list before yep so using those skills um, to play this one, and that one is building you up in the complexity scale so that you can get up to Castles of Burgundy. Which is a game that everyone should play. At least once. <laughs> Even if you're Chris. Oh, I, and I really do like Euro games. This one just never really... This one's one of those abstract Euros that's just too abstract for me. I feel like I could put a different theme on it and you'd really enjoy it. And I would use different pictures and different colors and you'd be like, oh, I get this and I like it. But the castles, the farms, the <laughs> the iconography. So I didn't actually build up into like learning the iconography. I think that might be the biggest drawback of this but honestly as long as you like the back page of that rule book is just like these are what all the icons mean and you just have to kind of Reference. Look back and yeah. forth. Make photocopies. Um. Yeah. Give everyone a copy of that back page, seriously, because it's important and you need it. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I do think like if this had a space theme or something, I would be much more drawn to it. But because it has a level of abstraction that 
just like okay and then the theme doesn't really help explain anything that's going on it makes it yeah. harder for me to really kind of get into i did enjoy it when i played it it's just when i tried playing it again later i'm like i i don't remember anything like i literally do not remember any of the rules at all so it was just kind of discouraging to have to relearn it <laughs> like two months later it's fun though and once you get past the like colorblind unfriendliness of the color palette they have chosen <laughs> it's, it's a really good game yeah. but you have to build to it yep try the deluxe version that should be out soon if not already i don't know they, <laughs> they didn't solve some of my issues it's like you had such an opportunity here but i digress all right <laughs> okay fletcher yours is fletcher. not in the notes so we don't have any idea what's coming up here yep uh i'll put it right there all right it's not indented at all <laughs> that that looks good <laughs> someone can go through and make it pretty later so um like you chris i chose i wanted to pick like what i thought a 5k game would be and then work backwards from that um and my 5k game uh, that i chose is terraforming mars um and terraforming mars is kind of like i mean i'm, I'm sure a lot of people have played it but it, it it's like a point salad in like Kind of like a placement game, a little bit. It is tile placement, like point salad, points. Yeah, with with some engine building in there as well. Yeah, with with engine building in it. Yeah. Um. So, and I was coming from the perspective of like, okay, here's a person that has only played, you know, like Hasbro Parker Brother games or something before. So, and in the mind of that person, like these games can be kind of intimidating. So they want someone to kind of like bring them along and maybe they don't want to make a ton of decisions because they feel like they're going to be like messing up a lot. So I actually started my list, uh, with pandemic because pandemic is technically you could play that game solo if you wanted mm-hmm. to. Um, or you could also a play lot. it with four people. <laughs> yeah. Um, because one person can really drive the idea, uh, the gameplay and decide for everybody else, which is like a good thing and a bad thing, but it could be a good thing. If your person, if the person that's trying to get involved in games doesn't really know what they're doing. And maybe they're like a little bit timid about, uh, making a bunch of decisions and they can see how decisions are getting made by the more dominant player and still voice their opinions. And, and you can still discuss like the overall gameplay and strategy and what, is good and what isn't good. Um, so I chose that as my first game. Uh, and then we go into Sushi Go Party, uh, which is like, you know, pa- card passing and another kind of point salad game. So, and it's also a party game. So it's very light. You play it very quickly. Um, and you introduce like the person into just like, you know, you win by strategy and by points, essentially. I would, when, I, three rounds. when you first put this list up, I'm like, those two games should be reversed. But your explanation be like, oh, yeah. So Pandemic is basically a non-intimidating. And then Sushi Go is, all right, it's still not intimidating, but now we're not working together. We're now competing. So it's a subtle yeah. way of competing with each other. I like that. I like that. Right. We're now competing like with each other. It's like using the alpha player to your advantage. Yep. Right. So now we're competing with, with each other. Instead of, instead of cooperatively, cooperatively trying to beat the game. Um, and then we go back to, so my third game is Betrayal at House on the Hill, which starts off cooperative, um, but then usually ends up not cooperative in some form or another. And you also learn like movement and tile placing and, um, just like it's very kind of like story driven. So it come, it comes off as like a little bit more, 
uh, it's a little bit heavier and a little bit more kind of like, you know, we're in this together, but then something's going to happen. And then like, we might be broken off into like two different teams. In fact, that usually is what happens. But it's very, very clear who the betrayer is. It's not it's a It's clear who traitor. the betrayal, yeah, yeah. Who, who, who that person is. Because I think and that when it can happens, be hard at the yeah. beginning part of the list. I will, so. gi- I will give you this one for two reasons. One, uh, the game's over 20 years old. So, and lots of, it's, it's almost as a mainstream game. Not quite, but almost. Um, and two, I am assuming that nobody is, the person you're bringing along does not have to learn anything or set up anything. All they have to do is like read their part if play. they need to. Just play. Yeah. 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 I mean, even the setup for this game is not difficult. It can be intimidating when you open it up and see all of the different tokens and then realize when you read whatever scenario setup is like, oh, I only need four of these, but now I have right. to find the four. There's, a, the there's a bunch of, of pieces in the game in the box, but really you only put like four of them down and then you just like grab another piece and put it down, grab another piece and put it down like later. Yep. It's your um, next one, which makes me wonder if these two shouldn't be switched, but continue. I want to hear your justification for this. So again, I go back to Splendor, which in Betrayal, um, you are working together as a team, at least for the first part of the game and likely through like most of the game, like you'll probably be on the team side. And then in Splendor, you go back to everybody is playing against each other again, and it's heavier than Sushi Go a little bit. And it's another kind of like point salad in it and like engine building game, essentially. You know what I can see happening here is, so someone comes in, they're playing Pandemic. It's like, oh, I like this game. Sushi Go. It's like, okay, competitive's good. Trail and House of the Hill like, wow, that, that was like a really cool story. Like, I really got into that. What are we playing next? Splendor? Okay. And then they're like, um, well, that was interesting, but now I want something harder. So you've really kind of set them up to I want to like move on. This isn't Couch to 5K. This is like CrossFit. This That's, is oh, like this interval is, training. <laughs> it is interval training. <laughs> We're going to do something hard, but don't worry. We'll take it easy again. But then we're going to go betrayal, hard again. <laughs> I don't think betrayal is is difficult, though. It, it's, it's not. It's not. It's just um, going back, like Sushi Go and Pandemic. It's the back and forth. They yeah, like Sushi it. Go <laughs> is, and Splendor are definitely much easier to learn and play, especially if they're doing it on their own than Pandemic or Betrayal. But I like what's going on here. So, all right. What's after Splendor? So then after Splendor, we get into Catan, um, which is just straight up kind of engine building placement stuff like that like point salad like you know i'm you trying to well, i'm trying to work up is. to like like point salad games so yep. then we go to Catan, mm-hmm. and then wingspan which has a lot of icon- iconography and it's um you know a bit more complicated so um, wingspan and then is, management well, wingspan is definitely your point salad game um Catan yeah. is point gathering so i like how yeah, Catan comes for us first like all right whoever gets the most point or whoever gets the 10 first wins and wingspan is we're going to play and then at the end we're going to tally up points and see who wins so you're now introducing them right. to the concept of we don't know who's winning until we're done i also yeah. think you're managing your board and you're managing your hand a lot in wingspan that really leads you up to terraforming mars terraforming mars there's a huge amount of hand management yeah so i like what's yeah. going on here um, and then I put Scythe and I didn't, I purposely didn't look up what the BGG like rating was for <laughs> any of these games. Um, and apparently Scythe is rated heavier than Terraforming, Terraforming Mars. Um, but I think, but in my head, the iconography <laughs> and playing Scythe is easier than Terraforming Mars. 
Um, so even though it's weighted heavier, I think it's easier to play. I think it's easier to learn, harder to master. I mean, sure. Or maybe I think about the same to master. I, yeah, I just think it's, it's easier about the same to learn. To yeah, I just yeah. think it's it's just easier to learn. The one thing with Scythe is there's more, there can be more direct interaction depending on your player count. It is possible to play a game of Scythe and never actually interact with your opponents at all. But it um, also depends on how aggressive your opponents are. Right. So, what factions they've decided to play. But I would say that if I was going to teach someone, teaching someone Scythe, if I'm teaching them, teaching someone Scythe is easier because there's no hidden information. Everything's just on the board. And we're terraforming Mars. It's like, okay, well, you have this hands of cards that do all kinds of different things. And unless we're playing open-handed, it's hard for me to explain to you why you should keep certain cards and not keep other cards. There's just more complications there. So I, I agree with you. I think Scythe is an easier game to learn and play than terraforming Mars is. There's also, it's I also think, even in, go ahead. Go ahead. Um, well, what I was going to say is like, even though there's more pieces on the board in Scythe with your workers and everything, I think it's easier to manage that than it is essentially the, the giant engine that is, um, like terraforming Mars, like how you produce electricity, but then electricity goes into heat and then heat increases like, you know, the, the temperature score and then you have to raise the temperature up so i think that is easier to manage than like that whole engine aspect of terraforming mars yeah i also think scythe is just a really streamlined design game so like the the choices you make are very clear like what you have in front of you and even if you're not really building toward anything like making the choices you you only have like three or four choices in front of you to make. There's only a few choices that you can do. Yeah. And it might not get you anywhere very hard. There's so many choices and there's so much going on. And also it it is my least favorite rule book of all times. So (laughs) it's also a bit more, more like uh, random or I guess like luck of the draw literally than Scythe because you could pick up some cards and be like, Oh, this totally is not the strategy that I'm going for. Exactly. And I will say, um, to those who people who really love Terraforming Mars, there is some luck to it. Most people who are good at Terraforming Mars will beat those who are bad. But it feels bad to be going for one strategy and never draw cards that allow you to do that. So knowing how to pivot out of these strategies is part yeah, of the skill of it. Yeah, you have to have flexibility on your side. <laughs> yeah. Where right. Scythe, it's like you pretty much can see on the board what you can do. And short of every once in a while getting attacked by someone else, which is only even incentivized twice in the entire game, you two attacks is all really that benefit you. Um, you're, you have your plans are going to happen. It's just, you know, is it going to happen this turn or the next turn? Um, so yeah, I, I, I like this list. I do agree that it's more of like a CrossFit type of thing or interval training. <laughs> um, but I don't think that's necessarily it's easy bad. CrossFit. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily it's easy. bad. I yeah, like I, it. CrossFit isn't what I was thinking. I think I was thinking of HIT. Is that the high interval? High, like, high intensity. Well, that's yeah. just high that's just the interval training. That's just high, you know, straight up. So you just start, you know, wingspan, scythe, uh, viticulture, terror. Like you just. I thought that was CrossFit and that hit, the interval was like. Easy, hard, easy, hard, easy, hard. Uh, well, but like my, 30 seconds of each for a while. Then my trainer know. was not doing it right because he just did hard, 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 hard. All right. You're, you're going <laughs> to do a bunch of squats <laughs> and then you're going to do a bunch of jumping squats. It, it was well, pretty thought, close to that. You change the what parts of body. But right. in any case, I still like it's what's going active on. active recovery. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
All right. I am going to go next, and then we're going to end with Kitty. So my next one was Star Wars Rebellion, which turned out to be... um, So Star Wars Rebellion is a big two-player game, and I've joked about it before, but it's not really a joke. Whenever Sydney and I play this, we play it over two nights, uh, three hours the first night, three hours the second night. It is a two it's to, not supposed to take that long. Yeah, it's a two to three <laughs> hour game if you look at the box. But we enjoy taking our time with it, and we have no problem playing with that amount of time. But there, it comes in two different, well, not two different, but two large quad boards that are next to each other. So it's actually like eight sections of board to create the the map. There's miniatures everywhere. Um there are objectives, there are, you know, it's asymmetric goals. The rebels are trying to hide from the empire. The empire is trying to destroy the rebel base. Um there's space combats, there's ground combats. There's just a lot going on. So that was my thing. And I did this in five games, but I think I might be missing one someplace. And my first one isn't really all that uh game game <laughs> I'm sorry I'm just reading ahead and I can't I don't know what's happening I'm just going to go with this and we'll see what happens so because you're trying to figure something out it's two players head to head you're trying to figure something out you're trying to guess what the other person's thinking I started this list with guess who a relatively I think you should need to pick a bigger one. There's a bunch of little ones now where it's like just 15 people. You need to pick the one that has like, I don't know, 25 people or something like that. But it's not Mm -hmm. a bad place to start. You don't agree? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I'm... They don't even have Guess Who on Board Game Geek. It Uh, it doesn't have an entry. Let me That can't possibly be true. Okay, here we go. I found it. Guess Who is fine. I think you... It's a process. You can't put in the question mark or it confuses BGG. Oh, I, well, I put the guess, I put the question mark in because I'm like, eh, does this really make sense? I don't know. Um. <laughs> so this is a 1979 game. Yeah. I'm just um, saying. The next one, though, I'm more proud of. Children's deduction game. Yeah. I'm more proud of the next game, though. So the next game, and I think most people could start there, and that's Stratego, which is also a game. game that's been around forever. Yeah. 1946. Yeah. This is a game where it's 1v1, all your pieces are hidden, so you have these kind of blocky pieces where on one side you see your soldier's number, it's basically a number between 1 and 10, I believe, Um, and there's a couple special pieces, including the bomb and the flag, and you're trying to find the other person's flag by, you know, making strategic moves. So this, to me felt very much like what Star Wars Rebellion is trying to do, where you're trying to, at least one side is trying to figure out what the other side is doing, um, and the other side is just trying to, you know, stall for time. But Stratego allows you to be ready to play the Empire, regardless of, um, once you get to Star Wars Rebellion, you're ready to play the Empire at that point. It looks like Battleship and Minesweeper, like... Um, that's actually not too far off. (laughs) I've never played this game. So you haven't played this game? This, I've never played this. It's very no. good. Uh, each piece it's a can, grid system. Yeah. Each piece I can move one space. And yeah. if you move on to a space with an, an opponent's piece, you display the both pieces get shown. Um, whoever has the highest number, barring some special uh, abilities, is wins, and the other piece is eliminated. Um, and then that piece goes blind again. So you you have it's also a memory game on top of everything else. Um 
in Star Wars Rebellion, we take notes because you cannot possibly. You know, they have a Stratego Star Wars edition. Yeah, you could play Stratego Star Wars edition if you really wanted to get into the theme of it. It's apparently slightly easier, according to (laughs) BoardGameGeek.com. The weight ratings on these are always so ridiculous. Newer versions of Stratego add in some special abilities um, that the older, the original version does not have. they're both fine. They're both good. So my next game, though, and this one is just because I had to shoehorn it in someplace, is Homeworlds, which now takes our... Win- Doesn't make any sense here. <laughs> it takes our <laughs> 1v1, moves it into space, and now you are attempting to wipe out the opponent. I, I would I, swap this with your next game, but I don't, we'll get there. You tried to explain Homeworlds to me before, and I still didn't get it. I was like, you can play this game with just, like, coins. Like, uh, I sort of. Yeah. I, I didn't understand it. Uh, it's just one of the it's greatest because games. it's a bad game. It is not. All right. Here's what's <laughs> going to happen. This is going on Kickstarter. Homeworlds by itself is going on Kickstarter in the very near future. And when it does, I will talk about it every single week because more people need to play this game. And then I will both get you guys a copy. I will get you both a copy, which you'll never play, but I'll get it for you anyway. All right. So the next game on my list, this one is very appropriate. Star Wars Risk. This is not yeah. anything like Risk. Um, I believe we talked about this before it, on the show. Yeah. This, and I still so need this, to look it up to this, remember the picture. It's got a really weird... It's a TIE Fighter board. So the board looks mm-hmm. like a TIE Fighter. In the middle of it is the Death Star. The goal of the Rebels is to destroy the Death Star. The goal of the Empire is to destroy every Rebel ship. Then on one of the TIE Fighter rings, uh, you are attempting to bring down the shields to the Death Star. And once you've brought down the shields, then your rebel ships can start can do damage to the Death Star. On the other side is the fight against Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And winning that track also has some benefits. So there's a lot going on here, but the combat is still very simple. You attempt to attack a a place nearby, you roll dice, and if you hit certain numbers, you destroy those ships. So it's it's still pretty straightforward, but there's a lot going on, and it's super, super thematic, and it's super cool. You look skeptical, though. Well, I'm looking up Homeworlds versus Star Wars Risk. The Star Wars <laughs> Risk seems very straightforward to me. Do you want to guess how far off you are on the BGG weight rating? Because I don't think, you know, that's the end all and be all of this as we've discussed previously, but I'll give you a hint. It's more than a point. (laughs) Well, Star Wars Risk is pretty simple. Um, The reason I put them in the order I did is because Homeworld has four rules. Um, It's abstract, which makes it a little bit more complex. And winning it is definitely a little bit of a brain burner. Um, But it's much, much easier to set up and teach than Star Wars Risk No, it's not easier to teach. It's easier to have somebody who knows, like, these are the four things I can do. I can make this decision. But it doesn't lead you anywhere if you don't understand the game. All right, fine. And understanding the game is very difficult for some people. Fine. I'm happy to. And I don't think (laughs) it's just me when the BGG rating of Star Wars Risk is... 2.2 2.2 and the homeworld's rating is 3.38. Well, it just makes this a great game. 
Fine, we can reverse those. Um, my last one before Rebellion, though, is Outer Rim. And this is more for the thematic, again, just kind of like getting into the theme. We're now talking FFG again, which gets you used to the components and the art. And you have mission cards and moving around, which we'll eventually do in Star Wars Rebellion as well. So that is my how to get you to Star Wars Rebellion. It's a lot of playing. If I really had to boil it down, though, it'd be Stratego, Star Wars Risk, Outer Rim, and Rebellion, which I feel like I need a few more steps in there, which is why I threw Guess Who and Homeworlds in there. But let me know if there's suggestions as to what would fit better in that list. Homeworlds almost has a higher board game geek rating than Star Wars Rebellion, your final game. (laughs) Outer Rim is still below. It is not that hard. (laughs) It is. You play it a lot and you have like forgotten that it is a hard game. It is. It's like chess. It's like somebody saying chess isn't a hard game because it's easy to teach. It is like chess. It's not easy to teach. It's easy to know what the pieces do. That doesn't mean you learned the game. Fine. I still like (laughs) it. (laughs) I just hate it. (laughs) Uh, You have to learn to play it before you can hate it. I learned the the rules. <laughs> I never figured out what I was doing. That's fair. That's You've fair. explained the rules to me several times, though. And I'm like, okay, so I can do this. And you're like, yeah, but you don't want to. Fletcher, I am going to And bring, it never makes sense. I'm going to bring Homeworlds downtown. We're going to do lunch. You're going to learn Homeworlds. And then you can be Fletcher on my side on this. Fletcher will probably like it. Fletcher will definitely you're like it. You tried to teach me once before with these, like, clear plastic triangle things and you're like no look so you can stack this one here and then you can move it here and then i can do this thing and i was like okay but i don't get it yeah <laughs> exactly fine maybe exactly. i'm gonna do a couch to home worlds list i think when you're first trying to explain it to me like i don't does placement matter in that game yes, no very much well it depends on the placement the board is abstract um where you- there is no board well, there is right. there is no spoon. The field of play <laughs> is nebulous, like space. And yeah, but you can move like the piece any distance you want, though, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Right. As long so as it's I, going I, from one star to another star that are of different sizes, which you have to make. Which, of course, you have to make because otherwise, if you're not there, you don't know they exist. It's a brilliant game. I'm going to do an entire episode on it. It'll just be me solo. Just talking about yeah, because we won't show up. <laughs> <laughs> you can't get me to come on that episode. All right, I'm willing Kitty. to give it another shot, but like when you tried to explain to me the first time, I was like, "Wait, what?" So and Andy you, you like used a is... napkin and then like a salt shaker, and I was like, "I don't, I don't understand what's happening." <laughs> Andy Looney is the creator of Homeworlds and he... huge fan. He gives out me- uh, medals to people who beat him at this game. Yeah. He so, loves it, loves the challenge. His wife refuses to learn it. Yeah. So technically speaking, he is the creator of the pyramid system. Someone else designed Homeworld. So he, he didn't design ah. his favorite game, but it's his favorite game. It is definitely game. his favorite game. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right, Kitty. This is the Away last from one. Homeworlds, Let's do this. Another thing I'm locking in my Kickstarter vault. <laughs> so I'm not going to tell you where I'm going. Well, you guys can see, but I'm not telling our listeners. All right. All right, we're starting with Century Spice Road. So this one, it is super easy. I put it in the same pool of splendor 
you're just learning. It's like basically sit down. Everyone knows how this game works. Even if you don't know how this game works, you know how this game works. You're turning cubes into other cubes. Everything is like written in front of you in a super to easy follow way. Hand management Great. is its core mechanic. Yes. Hand management, um, resource like decker. I guess, uh, like pool management because you're managing your cubes as well. Yeah. So I would call that a pool, I guess. On BGG, they have it as deck bag or pool building or management. Yeah. It's basically hand building, hand management, resource management. There's a lot of management involved, yeah. but it's straightforward management. It's very oh, straightforward, very easy to pick up management. All the management, though. Um. So then from there, we are learning a completely different skill, but still a very easy game. I think Chris will be very surprised that I chose this one. The Resistance Avalon. So yes, it is a social deduction game. But it is teaching you hidden roles, and it's really easy to pick up. Yep. You could have gone Burke's Gambit here too, but Resistance Burke's is good. Burke's Gambit is harder to pick up. Burke's but- Gambit, you've got iconography. You've got... Yep, no, no, um information uh, sharing. There's like more going on. Yep. So yes, I enjoy Burke's Gambit more, but I think this one is easier to teach. And I assumed that like you can't count on everyone having played Werewolf or Mafia or something like this. And I like this better than those games. Fair. So. Yep. Uh next, we move to The Captain is Dead. So here we're going more cooperative. We are moving around a board. We are trying to deal with crises. It's more story-based. It's um, a very thematic game, but still pretty easy because it's maybe not easy to win, but easy to learn and play. Really fun, really thematic game. Okay. Then we move on to Wingspan. We're back to more kind of hand management. We're moving to Point Salad. Um... I don't know. I just threw it in here because I like it. I, think. <laughs> I was going to say, you just, this is, this is your home world. Totally it fits good. more with um, Century Spice Road. It builds on a lot of that skills that we put in there, but, but I like it. It is my home world. Yep. It had to fit into one of my lists somewhere. All right. Um, so then we move to Above and Below, where once again, we're very story, very thematic, but we're back to card drafting. Um, resource management kind of a game. Near and Far would work here as well. Yes. I chose Above and Below because I think the Near and Far has more of the um, campaign legacy aspects, which um, make it a little bit harder to pick up, but not really. It's almost interchangeable. But segue in nice into your next game. Segue next to Pandemic Legacy Season 1, where once again, we're doing hand management, point-to-point movement, Adding legacy and story. Um, Love it. Very good game. And we move from there to Dead of Winter, where this is um, combining the hidden trader with the cooperative hand management resource gathering action spending kind of a game, which is all leading us up to Battlestar Galactica, a (laughs) game which if you don't know somebody who owns, I'm very sorry because I pretty sure it's out of print but it's such a good game and i love it and i want everyone to play it and i don't even own a copy i have to steal sydney sometimes <laughs> yeah i would say pandemic legacy could be turned into pandemic um i don't know that well, the- it would go earlier in the list i think yeah because i think it 
the legacy aspect does really add to the oh. like very thematic, very storytelling. And there's a lot more mechanics you learn over that. But if we're keeping it like a three guess, five plays to win, no, 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 <laughs> or to get through it. I guess if you're going for that story element, and that's what you're trying to highlight with Pandemic Legacy, then I agree with you there. If it's just the co-op element, um, where you're all trying to work together, because Battlestar, you know, the, in theory, you're all working together until you're not. Same thing with that of Winter. Then I would say Pandemic Legacy would be fine. But I get where you're going with the story. I, I think that would be that makes sense. And you could substitute in Pandemic for probably. Get rid of Pandemic Legacy, put Pandemic instead of Wingspan. This list might make more sense. But I wanted to fill it with games I liked and wanted to play. Yeah. So, so I did. <laughs> yeah. So I, I like this. Um, this was a fun exercise uh, that is, it really is just kind of interesting. Oh, I want to get someone to go to be able to play this game. How can I trick them into getting to that level? No, I want to take <laughs> someone on a journey with me. To I want to them. be friendly and nice about this. I'm not tricking anyone into anything. And I think oh. a lot of these, you know, sure, maybe I can't tell you how many times I have started the real couch to 5k and given up at week four. And if you only ever get to week four, you've still made progress and you're still playing a game like let's look at our week four games, Wingspan, Splendor, or Betrayal at House on the Hill, maybe because that might be the harder game. Parks, you're playing Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle, you're playing Star Wars Risk, you're playing Legendary Encounters, you're playing, I don't remember which way this one goes, Seven Wonders, Dominion. These are not games that like non-hobbyists play all the time. These are hobby games. You've gotten someone into the hobby. Even if you didn't achieve your like secret goal of getting them to play a harder game, you still brought someone in and you had a good time and it's fun. And it's a fun thought exercise and go play on BGG and just start clicking through links because it's really, you can get down rabbit holes and it's fun. <laughs> and I 100% agree. I still don't know what we would call the 5K. I'm like, you know, the hobbyist game, the the mid middle of the road game, the I don't know. But I think... Uh, so in in my head, I'm trying to go through because I like alliteration. I was, I was thinking like from Parker Brothers to... Uh, I don't know, like Game Store Guru, something like that. <laughs> oh, that's not bad. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm trying to think of, like, for the layman, like, people understand Parker Brothers. If you use Monopoly, that kind of has some bad connotation to it. But people know Parker Brothers. And people know Game Stores. They might know, not, not, not know a specific game, but they know Game Stores exist. Mainstream to mastery. Hmm. Not bad. So... All right. So I will say, listeners, send us in. What would you call this Gaming Couch to 5K? Because um, the title of this episode is going to be Gaming Couch to 5K. But... I like Mainstream to Mastery. All right. I, I'll put it's that It's got in the alliteration. Mainstream to Mastery. The title has been updated. <laughs> Done. Mainstream Gaming. Yeah. All right. All right. Um, that is another long episode, but that's cool. This one didn't have nearly as much fighting. It didn't uh, fighting. feel long. <laughs> it didn't feel long. It was not nearly as Maybe fighty. we'll listen back and be like, oh my God. <laughs> I don't know exactly how long it is because I usually strip another, you know, five or six minutes out of it. Um, just silences so you guys don't have to listen to us think. But um, in any you case. You don't have to listen to me Google things. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but anyway, um, yeah, no, that was a lot of fun. And next week, I there's something on the list I want to talk about, but I don't remember what it is. So uh, we'll re- figure out what that is next week. In the meantime, 
Uh, you can follow us on Facebook at Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty's Lawful Good Mom. Fletcher is Netflutch. I am Game Master Chris. Uh, check us out on our Patreon at TabletopGameTalk.com slash Patreon. And thanks, Jesse and Charles, for doing that. And thank you to everyone else, too. Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's episode at p- table- ah. feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. It's the first time I've ever read that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, a huge thank you to our patrons. Adam Harrison, the SGC, the Gift of Games, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian Arnold, Sean P. Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy Liu, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wang, Stefan Phillips, Caleb O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrecht, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Lintham, Sean Peck, Eric Zoolander, Mike Smith, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wilkowiak, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrup, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letko, John Lewis, Joe Raxted, Ron Nelson, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keefe, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, Paul Raymer, Jimothy, Matthew Droke, Aaron Moore, Jesse Wheeler, and Charles Pearson. Until next week, until next week, keep playing games <laughs> and having fun. We need to do like tongue exercises beforehand. Red leather, yellow remedial leather. reading Red lessons. Leather, I know. <laughs> I know. It's like walla 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 walla. Red leather, yellow leather. <laughs> that would mean we were professional, and we're definitely not professional. Never. <laughs>